Those are glorious words, O Holy Night, Um, a very difficult song (laughs) to sing, um, but uh, the words are just so, so beautiful um, to think about uh, that birth of our Lord, and so with lisping, stammering tongues, we we try our best to um, elevate and worship and exalt Christ, and we fall far, far short in, in our lives. Um, and yet he is so merciful toward us. Uh, great singing. Thank you, Andrew and Rory and Wayne, uh, for leading us in, in song this morning. And I want to invite you now to turn um, back to the Gospel of, of John. Back to the Gospel of John. In John chapter 3, uh, last week, uh, we ended with John saying that Because of the signs Jesus was performing, you'll remember at the end of chapter 2 there, it says, uh, many believed in Jesus' name. However, John tells us that Jesus did not entrust himself to them, those who were saying they believed in his name, because Jesus knew that their faith was not genuine. Jesus knew that they had an inadequate superficial, and really a misplaced faith. And that's what leads us into this account of Nicodemus's interaction with Jesus in chapter 3. It really goes to verse 21, uh, but we're going to look at verses 1 to 15 this morning. Nicodemus is really put before us here as an example of one with an inadequate and superficial faith. He is interested enough to go and seek clarification from Jesus, but Nicodemus is not yet open to the truth about who Jesus really is. In one sense, Nicodemus wants to come to Jesus to assess Jesus by his own criteria, as if to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I've heard you teach I've heard the many signs you have performed, and clearly, Jesus, I see that God must be with you. He must be with you for your teaching and your miracles. No one could do if God was not with him. But I want to know, Jesus, is there something more about you? Are you more than a prophet? Are you more than a miracle healer? Jesus, uh, I want to know if you are the Messiah. Before I can draw that conclusion, though, Jesus, I need to know a little bit more about you. I need to know how, Jesus, you can fit into my thinking about the Messiah. And if you can fit into my thinking, I will believe on you if you kind of fit my preconceived notions of what the Messiah is supposed to be. This is kind of Nicodemus's inadequate faith at this point. And so Jesus takes the opportunity in this private conversation to point Nicodemus to the true nature of saving faith. In other words, Jesus shows Nicodemus that the problem with Nicodemus's belief in Jesus, his faith, if you will, or lack of it, 
It's not that Nicodemus needs more evidence and signs, but Nicodemus needs a new birth. Nicodemus needs a new heart if he's actually going to see and understand Jesus clearly. If Nicodemus is to enter the kingdom of God, he doesn't need to evaluate Jesus on Nicodemus' terms to see whether or not Jesus meets his requirements. Nicodemus should have been asking whether or not he is ready to receive the Messiah because that's what he needed. He needed a new birth, which is what the Messiah came to bring. And I actually think this is perfect for Christmas. The reason this passage is perfect is because it gets to the heart, like we said earlier, of why Jesus came. Jesus was born and took on flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was born as a child that we might be born again by God, by believing in the person and work of Christ on the cross. Jesus was born that we might have life. Jesus died for our sin and was raised for our justification and ascended back into glory so that we might enter into his kingdom and have eternal life in his name. That's what Christmas is about. The trees, the food, the family, the ornaments, the decorations, the songs, the festivities, they're great. I love the Christmas season, and I, and I love those aspects of Christmas. But all of those things need to take a back seat if we are to truly understand what it's about. It, it's not just about love and good feelings and sentimentality. You'll see that plastered all over the TV. You see it every year about Christmas. Christmas is about love. Christmas is about understanding. Christmas is about getting together. Christmas is about family. Christmas is about whatever, fill in the blank. No, Christmas is about the hope of salvation in Christ, that dead sinners can be raised to new life and be reconciled with God. And so in this passage, in this conversation, there's really two important points that Jesus is going to say to Nicodemus here. And the first has to do with being born again. What does it mean to be born again? And how does this new birth happen? You hear a lot people talk about being born again. What does it mean and how does this birth happen? And so in verses 3 and 5, Jesus addresses these answers. He, he makes three truly, truly statements here in verse 3, verse 5, verse 11. And the answer to those first two questions is in his first two truly, truly statements there in verses 3 and 5. It's really one answer, but Jesus is going to expound on what that means for Nicodemus. Um, and this section speaks to us of our need for God to come and to make us new creatures. We'll look at that, verses 3 and 5, to make us born again. 
So what does that mean and how does it happen? The second part in verses 11 to 15 revolves around what someone born again must believe about Jesus. What, what is it that someone born again must believe about Jesus? And that's in that third truly, truly statement in, starting in verse 11. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. And so let me read God's word and then we'll ask the Lord to, to bless it as we look at it in a bit more detail. So here's how John puts it in John 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for giving us this interaction between our Lord and Nicodemus, and for the teaching that it gives to us regarding the new birth in Christ and faith in Christ. Help us to understand it. Father, we pray that you would bless it and give us clarity and understanding in the name of Christ, that we might know him better. In his name we pray. Amen. All right. So the conversation then begins with Jesus' teaching on the new, the new birth, being born again. Nicodemus is a man of the Pharisees. It means he's a ruler of the Jews, and he comes to Jesus because he recognized that there is something special about Jesus. 
He recognized that in some sense, Jesus, like we said, must have been from God and that God was in some way with Jesus because of how he taught and the signs he was doing. And so Nicodemus comes and says, Rabbi, it's a respectful term there of, of a teacher. He says, we know you're a teacher come from God because no one can do these things that you're doing unless God is with him. But you want to also notice there that John makes the point that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. And he came to Jesus by night because Nicodemus was hesitant and he didn't want to be seen by people as going to Jesus. He had this fear of man. He was afraid that man, what they might think of him, what they might say about him, this Pharisee going to this teacher from Galilee, what they might do to him. And even today, many people may respect Jesus in a certain way, but people are more concerned about what people would say about them if they came to Jesus. And so even today, people are cautious about being identified with Jesus. They're sort of hesitant. And so under this cloak of darkness, Nicodemus goes to Jesus and darkness and night is really kind of even a metaphorical picture of his spiritual condition. Nicodemus has not yet come to Christ in faith, and so he is in spiritual darkness as well. John uses night to refer to spiritual darkness in chapter 9, verse 4, and chapter 11, verse 10, as well as chapter 13, verse 30. As one author I read noted, he said, Nicodemus approached Jesus at night, but his own night was blacker than he knew. And I think Jesus even makes this point a little later about Nicodemus in verses 19 to 20, and really about all of those who are in darkness and refuse to believe. He says, this is the judgment, the light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. And so this is Nicodemus's condition. And so he comes at night, and he is himself in darkness. Exactly what chapter 2 talked about. Nicodemus is a long way away from confessing Jesus and having faith in Jesus. He believed in Jesus in some way, but he did not know Jesus as his Messiah and Savior. But he does come hesitantly and in fear. He comes. And he also came on behalf of some other Pharisees who agreed with him that something was special about Jesus. And you can see this because he's, he addresses Jesus with we. We know Jesus. And so here he is. And Jesus knows Nicodemus does not believe, but he's going to actually have this conversation with him. Now, I suppose... In our world and in a lot of crusades, I guess, evangelical crusades, you might have thought that when Nicodemus came to Jesus with an interest, 
that Jesus might have said, well, let me lead you in a prayer. I see you're interested, Nicodemus, because you're here. Why don't you just kind of follow what I'm about to pray, Nicodemus, and then you can be born again. So here's how some of those prayers might go. Maybe you've heard them before. Someone is interested in Jesus. Someone wants to know a bit more about Jesus. So they come to a church, and then someone talks to them and says, just repeat after me. Jesus says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, just say this. I know that I'm a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe, Jesus, that you're going to die for my sins and rise from the dead. And so I turn from my sins, and I invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Maybe, why didn't Jesus say that? Or you could say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying, for going to the cross to die for my sins. I open the door of my life and I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving me for my sins and giving me eternal life. Take control of the throne of my life and make me the kind of person you want me to be. And then Nicodemus would say that prayer and then Jesus would say, very well, Nicodemus, you are now born again and saved. You're now a Christian. And Nicodemus could leave the presence of Jesus and he could try his best to live up to that standard and to follow Jesus at every turn that he makes. And he could be a good disciple of Jesus and then ultimately get into heaven. Is that how Jesus, is that what Jesus says to him? He doesn't say, hey, Nicodemus, I want you to do this. I want you to follow this prayer, and then you can be born again. It's not at all what he says. In, in fact, Jesus says to him in response, truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, because he sees what's under Nicodemus's heart, he sees Nicodemus's greatest need. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless Nicodemus, born again can also be mean from above, unless you are born, Nicodemus, from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus hears this response from Jesus in verse 4, and he asks this question. He says, well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, reborn? As we read in this conversation, Jesus makes the point that this new birth is the work of the Spirit. It is, it is from above. In other words, 
there's a kind of double meaning here. To be born again or to be born from above is simply for Jesus to say that one must be born of God. That's chapter 1, verse 13. One must be born of God from above to see the kingdom of God. And this would have been very striking for a zealot Jew like Nicodemus to hear. Because Nicodemus was waiting for the restoration of an earthly kingdom of Israel. He was waiting for the arrival of the Messiah, as all the Pharisees were, and the Sadducees, and the religious leaders, and even the people. They were waiting for a Messiah who would come at the end of the ages, over which the Son of David would reign forever, and to see the kingdom for them was to really participate in that kingdom and experience all the blessings of it by preparing themselves for his arrival. By following the law, by making the sacrifices, by being holy, by being good, by following all the rules and saying all the prayers and doing the ceremonial washings, all of these things over and over and over again, they would try to do as they anticipated and waited for the Messiah to arrive. And when he arrived, if they were found to be in a right relationship with God, they would be able to see the kingdom come and to participate in that earthly kingdom. This is what Nicodemus is thinking about when he's thinking about the kingdom of God. Strive to live by the law so that you'll be ready when the Messiah comes. And here Jesus is telling him that you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Nicodemus is like, how can a man be born when he's old? How can he enter, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Now, I don't think Nicodemus really is asking this question because he thinks Jesus is saying you must become born again a second time in that way. I, I mean, this is the teacher of Israel as Jesus identifies him. So I don't think he's thinking in that kind of immature way that he's not really saying, Jesus, do you really think we can be born again? What he's really getting at here is he's getting at the fact that Jesus is basically saying to him that no one is good enough to enter the kingdom of God and they must have a new start because they have failed so bad and fallen so far that unless they start over again afresh anew, they cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is troubled because he's saying, Jesus, you are taking this too far. It's much too late for someone to start over and to try to straighten out the mess of their life. We are much too far gone. How can someone turn back the clock of their life and start over as a new person? How can I start over, Jesus, and do better? How can I have a new start so that now I can live in such a way that to be prepared for the kingdom of God? Surely, Jesus, you do not mean that someone must enter his mother's womb a second time and be born again from his mother's womb to restart. That's what he's saying. 
Because if that is required in order to enter the kingdom of God, Nicodemus says, is saying, then there's no hope. Isn't that true? If your coming into the kingdom of God is based on you having a fresh start and now living a life that is more pleasing to God to get into the kingdom, you have no hope. You and me have no hope. And the reason we have no hope is because if we are not born anew again, we still have however many years of living in rebellion that is not resolved. We still have our whole life of sin that we still have to give an account for, and chances are that new start, quote-unquote, that you will make will end in miserable failure again. What you need, Nicodemus, what you need is to be born again. Nicodemus says, I don't understand what you mean, Jesus. That's what he's saying in that question. I don't get it. And so Jesus responds, and he takes Nicodemus, this learned teacher of Israel, and he takes him a little further. And he's going to explain it a little bit more. I just love how patient Jesus is, right? He's so patient in a, to us in our ignorance. And so he goes on in verse 5, and he says to him again, Truly, truly, I say to you, nice clarifying, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So he's born again. Now Jesus says, listen, he must be born of water and the Spirit to enter the kingdom of God. So what does he mean by that? Some people will see this as Jesus making a reference to two births here. Born of water is in reference to one's physical birth, they'll, they'll say. And the spirit is a spiritual birth, as if Jesus was saying, okay, Nicodemus, first you must be born physically, that is, you must exist, and then be born spiritually to enter the kingdom of God. That's what he means by water. And they'll look at the amniotic fluid of a lady in birth, and they'll say that that water is related to that physical birth. And so that's what Jesus is saying. Unless you first exist and then are born of the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That doesn't work. Uh, number one, that understanding of water is not used anywhere in ancient literature. Um, and it really is kind of a silly pedantic statement for Jesus to make. So I don't, I don't think he's talking about a physical birth and a spiritual birth there. Others try to tie the reference of water to Christian baptism, and I think that's unlikely as well. But they'll do it because, or they'll say that water means baptism, as if Jesus is saying, unless you are baptized and born of the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Um, 
But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying because Jesus even admonishes Nicodemus later that he doesn't understand these things. And so in one sense, that seems a little out of place because how can Jesus assume that Nicodemus should have understood the importance of Christian baptism when Jesus hadn't even gone to the cross to die yet? So I don't think he's talking about Christian baptism. And Jesus never even talks about baptism in this passage after that statement. He talks about the work of the Spirit. And so I don't think that's what it is. And there are other views, but I think the one that is most likely is that Jesus is making reference to this learned teacher of Israel to the Old Testament, and specifically Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27, where both water and the Spirit are mentioned in that passage. So, this is something Nicodemus should have known. So if you want to turn there, you can, but I'm just going to read it for us. Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27 says this. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now what Ezekiel is talking about here in this passage is God promised through the prophet Ezekiel six centuries earlier that a spiritual cleansing was coming. A new birth was coming. Ezekiel is saying that in the end time when the Messiah comes, God will put water and the Spirit on his people in order to create them new. And what comes directly after Ezekiel 36 in this passage is Ezekiel 37, which isn't by mistake, and it's in Ezekiel 37, verses 1 to 14, that we read of the Valley of Dry Bones. And in the Valley of Dry Bones, in this vision of Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones, the spirit or the wind or the breath, as Ezekiel proclaims the word, comes upon the dry bones, these dead bones, and he gives life to them. And muscles and nerves and sinews, they all start coming into the bones as the Spirit is poured among them and those valley of dry bones come to life. And breath is given to them and they are now alive and created anew by the Spirit of God and they come to life. And so Jesus here, he's not referring to physical birth or Christian baptism, he is referring to the one new birth that God the Holy Spirit would bring about in, with the arrival of the Messiah. A new birth that doesn't come by blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man. A new birth that comes by God. And the sprinkling of clean water cleanses his people from all their impurities and their idols, he washes them, and the powerful gift of the Spirit transforms the hearts of people by giving them a new heart. He removes the heart of stone, and he gives them a heart of flesh, and they are reborn in such a way 
that they are now enabled by the Spirit to follow after God and to believe God's word. That is what is required if people are to see and to enter the kingdom of God. And so Jesus goes on to say in verse 6, Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. In other words, this is not something you can harness yourself, Nicodemus. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. It is not a work which you can manufacture for yourself or put upon others. You cannot give yourself or others physical life. Certainly you cannot give them spiritual life either. It is God alone, and it is God alone who performs this work of the new birth. R.C. Sproul said it like this, The work of regeneration is not a joint venture between the fallen person and the divine spirit. It is the work of God. And that's why Jesus goes on to say in verse 8, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You know the wind is there, don't you? When you look outside and you see it, and you see the trees blowing and you hear it, you see the waves maybe at the ocean rising up, you can see it. You, you know the effects of the wind. You hear its sound. You know it's present. You can see the impact and effects of the Spirit in the same way that you can see the impact and effects of the wind. The work of the Spirit in a new birth can't be hidden. It'll always produce the fruit of the Spirit. It will always produce faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is telling Nicodemus, the reason you don't believe Nicodemus is because you need to be born again. You need to be born again by the Spirit. J.C. Ryle in describing this new birth, this change, says it like this. The change which our Lord here declares needful to salvation is evidently no slight and superficial one. I would put saying the sinner's prayer there. This is not about saying the sinner's prayer. It is not merely reformation or amendment or moral change or outward alteration of life. It is a thorough change of heart, will, and character. It is a resurrection. It is a new creation. It is a passing from death to life. It is the imp- 